Let's take our Bibles and open to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're working through the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 6, we really have one theme throughout the whole chapter, which is this authentic Christianity. And last time I called your attention to the mention of God our Father, God our Father, as as we go through this chapter, and really what's described here is the citizen of the kingdom of heaven living before the face of God his Father. First half, half of the chapter describes that with regard to our spiritual activities, worship, and then the second half, our life in the material world, wealth and worry and so on. We're going to read this evening the first 18 verses of the chapter. The text will be from verse 5 through verse 15. Take heed that ye do not your arms to be before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. We read this far. In God's holy and inspired words, as I said, the text is from verse 5 through verse 15, and due to the length of it, we won't read it again. 
You recall that when we looked at the first four verses of this chapter, we said that verse 1 is really the theme of the first section of this chapter. And then Jesus develops that in three different areas or applications. The theme in verse 1 is, Take heed that ye do not your, and the word could be righteousnesses, before men to be seen of them. And Jesus is talking about religious activity. Don't do your religious activity before men to be seen of them, to get praise from them. Because if that's all you're seeking, he says, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. That's the principle. That's the theme here. And then Jesus applies that in the giving of alms in verses 2 through 4. Don't give your alms like the hypocrites do, sounding a trumpet, saying, Here, I've got alms to give you, or showing off your good deeds, your acts of benevolence and kindness to others. You'll get praise from men for that, but not from God. And then in the section that we consider this evening, he applies that same principle to the matter of prayer. And in verses 16 through 18, the spiritual activity of fasting. We're going to look tonight at that middle section, verses 5 through 15. It's a lengthy section. A part of it we're very familiar with, the words of the Lord's Prayer. And we're not going to look so much at those tonight, but the verses that precede and the two that follow. And we want to see Jesus' application of the principle of verse 1 to the matter of prayer. Take heed that ye do not your righteousnesses, now your prayers before men, to be seen of them. That's really what we want to consider tonight. And what Jesus is talking about here is not so much the content of prayer, though he has some things to say about that, but especially the manner of prayer. How to pray. Last time we looked at the first verses under the theme, how to give. We could have used that theme tonight, how to pray. This has to do with the manner of true prayer. That will be our theme tonight, the manner of true prayer. Let's notice first what it is, what is the proper manner in which to pray. Then second, the reason for it, and that's at the end of verse 8. Your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask Him. And then third, what it produces, and really what it produces is confidence. So the manner of true prayer Even though in this section on prayer, Jesus gives to us the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and in that teaches us the content of true prayer, that's not his main concern in teaching his disciples here. His main concern is not to teach them what to pray, but to teach them how to pray. That's really the point of this section of the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? About worship. How to worship, not to be seen of men, but with a sincerity before God. And Jesus is doing that here in contrast to the way that the scribes and the Pharisees, whom he calls hypocrites, did this. They were concerned about public displays of worship. 
And so, as they went into the synagogue or went along the streets, they called attention to their almsgiving. Jesus said they blew a trumpet before them. When it came to prayer, they stood in the street corners and they stood in the synagogue so that everybody could see, here's a person who's praying. And so also when they fasted, they disfigured their faces and made themselves look miserable so that people could know, oh, they're fasting. They're involved in that spiritual activity. Public displays. And last time, and we referred to this chapter in in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1, in which we see that this was a, a pattern of concern in the life of the nation of Israel, that they were concerned about the externals of their worship. And so they kept their feasts, they came with their sacrifices, they followed the letter of the law. And though they followed the letter of the law... In their external worship, God says to them, it stinks. Away with it. Because they came with sin. And he says to them, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek justice, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widows, and then come in worship. Well, in the same way, we can be very concerned about the externals of worship, especially when it comes to our public worship, the liturgy of worship. We have what's called the regulative principle for worship. It's set out very clearly in the Heidelberg Catechism's treatment of the second commandment that we should worship God in no other way than He has commanded in His Word. And so we will apply that very strictly to the externals of our worship and be very careful and concerned about all the different ways that we keep the regulative principle for worship. Externals. And we can do the same with prayer, especially when you come to this section and you focus on the content of prayer in the Lord's Prayer. And we focus on what to pray rather than how to pray. And we learn these neat little acronyms, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, and our prayers follow a repetitive pattern of words so that we get all the content right. But that, Jesus says, is not the important thing. And you can get all the form correct. And still, it's not true prayer. It's not that those things are not important. Certainly they're important. Jesus teaches us something here about the content of prayer. But prayer and worship is not about saying all the right things, going through all the right motions, using all the right words. If that's what we think prayer is, then we have a complete wrong understanding of prayer. What's prayer? Prayer is the opening up of the heart of the believer before his Father in heaven. It is to pour out your heart, it is to bear your soul before God. And to be able to do that with the confidence 
that the God to whom we're praying is our Father who wants to know our needs, who wants us to bring those needs to Him. That's prayer. We sang a little earlier Psalm 62, and this is how prayer is described in Psalm 62 in verse 8. Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. Pour out your heart before Him. That can be done in times of great affliction. So, for example, in Psalm 42, which we also sang earlier in verse 4, the psalmist is pouring out his heart before God. He says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept holy days. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? He pours out his soul in his affliction before God. That's prayer. Or it can be done in praise and gratitude. Think of the words that we sang from Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. And then the psalm went on to, to call us to sing with instruments and with loud noise and with shouting in joy before God. That's prayer too. Exuberance of expression. What's important in prayer, and that's Jesus' teaching here, is not what we pray, the content, but how we come to God in prayer. That's the meaning of the repeated idea here. We don't have it expressed exactly that way in the King James Version, except in verse 8, in verse, sorry, in verse 9, when Jesus says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye. After this manner, in this way, this is how you do it. And that's his introduction to the Lord's Prayer. So when he gives to us the Lord's Prayer, he's not just saying, when you pray, this is what you should pray, but this is the manner in which you should pray. And at the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, and again at the end of the Lord's Prayer, he emphasizes the attitude of heart that we should have. We should come with a childlike reverence before our Father in heaven. And we should come with a full confidence that he's able to answer our prayers. James talks about that when he says, Let no man, when he asks of God, ask wavering. For he that waves, wavers is like a wave of the sea tossed to and fro. Double-minded man, unstable. No, we should, what's important is how we come to God in prayer. And that's the idea in verse 5 when Jesus says, When thou prayest, and again in verse 6 when he says, When thou prayest, and in verse 7 when he says, But when ye pray, he's talking about how we should pray. How we should pray. If we turn to the other place where the Lord's Prayer is given in Jesus' instruction, we see exactly the same thing. This is in Luke chapter 11, when the disciples actually ask Jesus to teach them what to pray. And he does answer that part of their request. They say, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And so he said, when ye pray, say, 
And he gave them the content of prayer, our Father which art in heaven, and so on. But immediately after giving the content of prayer in the Lord's Prayer, in that model prayer, he goes on to speak about how we should pray. And so what does he say? He says, first of all, pray like someone who has a friend at midnight to whom he must go in a time of emergency. And he talks about the importunity of the friend at midnight, the persistence as he's asking. And he says to you and to me, this is how you should pray. You should pray with persistence. Ask and keep on asking. Knock, keep on knocking. And then he goes on to talk about children asking for bread, asking for an egg, and saying that we should have confidence because our Father will give to us His Holy Spirit when we pray. So the Lord's Prayer is not a formula for prayer. It's not just to shape the content of our prayers, but Jesus gives it to us to instruct us how to pray. And there are three main things that Jesus says here in the passage in Matthew chapter 6 about how we should pray. He does these with contrasts. And what I want to do tonight is just set before you very clearly in a positive way what these three things are. How should we pray? First, we should pray in the consciousness that we come in prayer into the presence of God himself. In prayer, we should come under the realization that we are in God's presence. We should, in a sense, lose ourselves and lose the thought of all others as we come to God in prayer. That's the first contrast in verses 5 and 6. When thou prayest, be not as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And Jesus is applying the principle of verse 1 to the subject of prayer. They love to do it to be seen of others. The word that he uses here again is the word hypocrites. And that's a word from the Greek theater, the actor in the theater was called a hypocrite and his hypocrisy was they would put a mask on when he acted so that he didn't look like the real person that he was and in fact these actors would put on multiple masks and play different roles during the drama and what were they doing they're covering their true identity this is not who they really were and with this mask, they were made to look much better than they actually were. And that's the idea here of hypocrisy. What was the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus is speaking of here? It was the publicity of their prayers. They stood in the corners of the streets and they stood in the synagogues to pray. They did this so that they would be seen by others. Perhaps they did it in silence. And here was a man who looked like he was deeply engaged in a spiritual activity, praying to God. Or perhaps they did it with prolonged utterances so that they could be heard by others, so that people would say, what a godly man. He can really pray. I see him praying on the street corners every day. 
And they gave this appearance of spirituality, which made them look like they were deeply spiritual, that they were closer to God, as it were. Now, Jesus is not against all public prayer. Of course not. He prayed publicly with his disciples. We have multiple examples of that. Think of the great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Or think of Jesus when he took his disciples with him into the garden to pray with him. And the early church also prayed publicly. You can think of these examples. They prayed as they waited for the Holy Spirit. They prayed when Peter was in prison. They prayed with Paul on the shores, Paul and the Paul and the uh, Ephesian elders, before Paul left them. What Jesus is talking about here is using a spiritual exercise for selfish ends. We saw that when we looked at giving of alms. It wasn't in their public given, giving and display of generosity. It wasn't for the sake of the poor. It wasn't an act of worship to God. But it was this, what are people saying about me now? What are they thinking about me now? A religion of self. And now Jesus is saying that that's the way these hypocrites use prayer. It was a religion of self. Are people going to worship me when they see how spiritual I am, when they hear my utterances? Don't pray like that. Jesus says. And when our focus is the form and the content of prayer, that can very easily become a problem, especially in the matter of public prayers. Soon there are some who don't want to pray publicly because they can't do it like him. And soon the prayers are not prayers at all, because they're done to be seen and heard by men. Jesus says in contrast to that in verse 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. Jesus is not saying here that the only true prayer is private prayer. But he is saying these two things. One, that private prayer is a true measure of a man's spirituality before God, not his public utterances. When Jesus talks about praying in the closet here, it's not about the closet. You can pray like this while you're working, while you're driving down the road. It's about entering personally into the presence of God without regard for man. And the second thing that Jesus is saying here is that in prayer that is public, it should be exactly the same way, the same principle, that when we pray in public, it's as though we are simply coming before God. Not to impress. Not to worry about what everyone and anyone else might think. But to shut all that out as we come before God. And, and Jesus here in this illustration really uh, repeats that idea. Enter into thy closet 
and then shut the door and then pray to your heavenly Father. One of the commentators broke those, those three things down this way. Exclusion, and then realization, and then petition. And he meant this. First, shut the thought of everybody else out of your mind when you pray. And what they might think, or what they might see, or what they might hear, or how they might respond. Then second, realization, not just enter your closet, but shut the door and realize, now I come into the presence of God Almighty and God my Father. And then pray. This is a struggle, isn't it, for people who have to pray publicly, for pastors, office bearers, parents, and others who lead in public prayer. One commentator who is a pastor said this, that when he prays in the pulpit, he has to, in a certain sense, forget the congregation and forget himself. And he doesn't mean by that that he has to forget what the needs of the congregation are or forget his responsibility in praying corporately. But it's to realize, I come now in prayer to God. This is an act of worship. Not the worship of me, but the worship of God. And so we have to do away with all thoughts of impressive words or saying just the right things, because those have nothing to do with true prayer with the efficacy of prayer and now you can think of the way that Jesus prayed with his disciples I mentioned a couple of examples in John 17 you have the great high priestly prayer he's representing his people as he makes this prayer he has them in mind in that regard but he comes into the presence of God and it's a deep intimate conversation with the Father as a Savior and intercessor. Father, he says, the hour is come. And now, O Father, glorify thou me. And over and over, Father, Father. So also in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. So that's the first thing that Jesus teaches us here about how to pray or the manner of true prayer. Come deeply, consciously, under the realization that in prayer we come before God. Pour out your heart to Him, ye people. And that's a very encouraging thing for us as we think about praying, isn't it? Sometimes we feel that our prayers are inadequate, that we can't measure up to someone else's prayers. In prayer, we don't need to say anything special. We don't need to articulate uh, beautiful descriptions of God and theology. So we simply come before God as His children and open our hearts before Him. God hears such prayers. That's the encouraging thing. God hears 
such prayers. And that leads us to the second thing here, and that's the second contrast in verses 7 and 8. Jesus teaches us here to pray with simplicity. And that's in contrast to the idea of praying with quantity and repetition. Jesus teaches us to pray with simplicity because God is not influenced by how much we pray or how often we pray. Again, Jesus is not against repetition in prayer or the fervent soul that cries out continually to God from the same position of need. In fact, in Luke chapter 11, when he talks about the manner of prayer, he tells us, be like the friend at midnight, the importunate, persistent friend. Ask, keep on asking is the idea. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock, keep on knocking. Those are verbs in the continuous. And Jesus himself prayed such such prayers. He cried out in the garden for hours to God with the same petition, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Daniel prayed repeatedly. And anyone who has really prayed to God in time of need knows that kind of prayer. But what Jesus is talking about here is the notion that by our, and here's the words of the text, our much speaking, we will somehow put pressure on God and gain the attention of God and change the mind of God. Jesus has in mind, and he mentions here, the practices of the pagans, and these had spilled over into the thinking of the Jews and the practice of the Jews. Use not vain repetitions, he says, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. And now in the scriptures we have a great example of that. That's the Baal prophets on Mount Carmel in the great competition with Elijah the prophet. There are two altars, and they begin first, early in the morning. And they set up the altar, and for hours, from the time of the morning sacrifice to the time of the evening sacrifice, from sunup to sundown, they're busy crying out to their God. And you remember, boys and girls, what Elijah said to them, maybe your God Baal is busy. Maybe he's gone on a journey. Maybe he's taking a nap. Cry louder, perhaps he'll hear you. Not because he meant it, but to show the ridiculousness of what they were doing. And that's exactly what Jesus' point is here. They think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. The idea in the ancient religions and even today in every false religion is that you somehow have to curry the favor of one who is otherwise a capricious and vindictive God who, as it were, plays games with people. And by your much speaking, you have to somehow gain his favor. Some some of the ancient religions had a practice of 
of putting prayers on a water wheel. And so they would have their statue or their image of their God by the river's edge, and in front of it would have a water wheel that turned all day, and then they would attach their prayers to it so that these were rotated in front of the idol 24 hours. Maybe then their God would hear their prayer. When you pray like that, Jesus is saying, you're treating prayer like it's some kind of business transaction. If you just put enough effort into it, you might get from God what you want. Does it remind you of Luther? What he did as a monk? And isn't that the point that Jesus is making here? Instead, pray with simplicity. That is the contrast in the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. They cried out from morning to evening. And Elijah came with a very simple prayer. After the altar had been prepared and the water poured on the sacrifice and trenches filled with water around the altar, Elijah said to the people, come near to me. And he prayed this simple prayer, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back. A simple prayer. And God answered it dramatically. Then the fire of the Lord fell, and so on. And so when Jesus says, after this manner, pray ye, and then he gives the Lord's Prayer, he's not giving to us simply a form prayer for us to repeat as some kind of magic almond. He's not giving to us just the content of what we should pray in prayer, but he's giving us a sample of a very simple prayer. Here, you are before God. And as you come before God, you pray in the realization that you come before him. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And you come with your needs and present them very simply before God. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. Forgive us our debts. A simple prayer. That's what Jesus is teaching in the Lord's Prayer. And again, that's a very encouraging thing, especially in this way that we pray with and for others the Bible says confess your faults to one another and pray for one another as a pastor and the office bearers as well when they visit the different needy in the congregation we pray with them But I think that as individual Christians, we have a reluctance to do this because maybe one of the reasons we're nervous to pray. 
ask this question, what can I pray for you? And they very simply make that a prayer there. Not every prayer needs to be comprehensive in its content, simple and relevant. And what an encouragement then to fellow believers. So come with the realization that you're coming before God. Come with simplicity before God. God hears the simple request of his own. And then third, come with sincerity in the use of your words. Mean what you say. We, we sang earlier, sing with understanding. Sing with understanding. Now pray with understanding. And that's the point that Jesus makes in the last two verses of the text, if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And he's taking the fifth petition and using it as an illustration to teach this, that you must mean what you pray or mean what you say when you pray to God. Here's a man who has prayed, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But he harbors bitterness in his soul and he won't forgive another. And Jesus says, then don't come and don't pray those words. This is another kind of hypocrisy. Not a hypocrisy to be seen, but a hypocrisy in your soul and in your words. And that can be applied to all the different petitions that we make in the Lord's Prayer. Do we pray, hallowed be thy name, and then curse the name of God? Do we pray, thy kingdom come, but we're not really interested in that. We're interested in our own kingdom. Do we pray, thy will be done, but we walk intentionally in disobedience to the will of God? Do we pray for daily bread, but then we're discontent when God gives us just that? That's what Jesus is teaching here. And he's encouraging us not only to avoid quantitative repetition in our prayers, but what he calls here vain repetition. Using words that mean nothing as you say them. And that's very important for us, especially who have grown up in Christian homes, who have, have learned about the content and the form of prayer, who have perhaps learned how to pray publicly, Prayer is a common practice, but it can very easily become a mindless exercise. Young people, when we pray, we come into the presence of God. And when we use words, we must use those words with sincerity. I remember at a point in my teenage years becoming very aware of this of what's actually happening in prayer, of the spiritual nature of prayer that we're coming into God's presence, and then learning to engage and to discipline my mind, to focus on the words and the thoughts, even if they were very familiar words and thoughts. To do that intentionally in family prayers, in public prayers, in congregational prayers, and then to do that also in private prayers. 
So pray with sincerity. And here again, if we're focused on the form, if we're focused on the pronouns that we must use in reference to God, if we're focused on the proper arrangement of our prayers, if we're focused on the, the right petitions all being included in the prayer, we sometimes miss what Jesus' point is here. Be sincere. Prayer is opening up the heart before God. If our concern with a new Christian or with our children is the these and the thous and the hats and the woods, we're putting the emphasis on the form and the content rather than a sincere heart before God. And that's what we must learn in prayer. That's what Jesus is saying to us here. So this is the manner of true prayer. Realize that you come before God, pray with simplicity, and pray with a sincerity in your words, engaged in what you're saying. And Jesus gives the reason for it here in verse 8. For your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. For, that's the reason. He's encouraging us here to pray. He's not just giving us the theology of prayer, but he's saying here's a reason that you ought to pray. For your heavenly Father knoweth what you have need of before you ask of him. And there are two things there. First, our relationship to God, our heavenly Father, and then also the sovereignty of God. He knows what you have need of. His omniscience and the fact that he will give to us what we Need And those two reasons are connected. God is our Father and God is sovereign. Jesus connects them himself in the address of the Lord's Prayer when he says that we should pray, Our Father which art in heaven. God is our Father and God is in heaven. God knows our needs and God is almighty so he's able to give what we need. And that's the encouragement here to pray. And Jesus is teaching us here to avoid two misconceptions about prayer. On the one hand, this idea that by bombarding God with repeated requests, we can change his mind as though his answers are dependent and he's waiting on us. No, God is sovereign. He knows what you have need of before you ask him. But then the other danger that Jesus is teaching us to avoid here is this, that the idea that, that, that because God is sovereign, I don't really need to pray. He knows what I need. He'll give me what I need. A fatalistic idea of God. No. Because he knows our needs as our Father, we are encouraged to pray to him. We can put it this way. Relationship produces conversation. Our relationship to God as Father produces conversation. Why do children talk to their parents? Well, it's not just to give them information, but it's part of the relationship and the joy and the love that they have in that family relationship. And it's exactly because parents know their child well and know the needs of their child, that familiarity that they have with a child that draws the child to them. My parents know me. I'll go to them. I can trust them. And that's what loving parents seek from their children too, and so much more with our Heavenly Father. We're not motivated as the pagans by fear 
or distrust so that we babble, we're not sure. No, we come in the certainty of the relationship with God. And He knows us, and He knows our needs better than we do. Many times our prayers are misguided or deficient. Romans 8 says we don't know what we should ask for as we ought, so we pray for the wrong things. Or James chapter 4 says we ask amiss so that we may consume it on our lusts. We ask with the wrong motives. And even when that's true of our prayers, we have a Father who knows what we really need. What does He do? He corrects our prayers through the Spirit's groanings and the intercession of His Son. He forgives and He amends our prayers. And in the end, He gives us, the Bible says, more than we could ever ask or think. And that's the encouragement here to pray. And so we can have confidence in prayer. Jesus is going to make that point more clear as he goes on in this chapter. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. Take no thought for the morrow, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll put on. God clothes the lilies. God hears the ravens and he feeds them. He's going to take care of you. Pour out your heart before him. And the confidence is not on account of our efforts or how much or how often or how frequently or how persistently we have prayed. That's not the reason that God hears us. But Jesus the teacher here is also Jesus the Savior. And it's on account of the Savior. And what he's done, what he's earned for us on Calvary, that we can have confidence in prayer. And the God, Romans 8 verse 32, who spared not his own son, but gave him up for us all, would he also with him freely give us all things? And so we can have confidence. That's why we pray in Jesus' name, or for Jesus' sake. We go to the cross, and there's our confidence in prayer. And then we can pray with the joy and the contentment of a child. Jesus talks about reward again here. The Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly and the open reward of course is again the great day of judgment but don't think that God waits to then to give us a reward no he gives us a reward in the present the one who prays in his closet is the one who walks with the Lord and that's in contrast to the one who's a hypocrite who prays to be seen of men and lives a life of perpetual insecurity because he wants the praise of men. You pray to your Father in secret, and your Father in secret will reward you openly. That is, a free from the fear, a freedom from the fear of men, a clear conscience, and a joy in salvation.
And so Jesus here is telling us when we pray not to live before men, but to live before our God. And that's not just a rebuke, but that's great encouragement. Because your Father sees in secret, and your Father knows what you have need of. So pray. Amen. Father, we thank thee for the instruction that Jesus gives us here. We pray, Lord, that it will help us and encourage us in our own prayer lives and give us confidence in prayer as well as the the assurance that we can come as those needy, even pleading to the throne of grace and the door to God who hears us not on account of the the effectiveness of our words or the kinds of words that we use, but as the one who knows the needs of our soul. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.